Hello again, everybody, and welcome to this edition of Leading in Real Time, the podcast for leaders who want to be in the know now. From Tampa, Florida, he's Ryan Lisk. Hey, Ryan. Good afternoon, everybody, from my wonderful stand-up desk. <laughs> Here we go already. We didn't even get started why, yet. Why is it that we start with him and he does that every single time? You would think right into the there. ditch. Right That's into right. the ditch. That's right. Not even out of the blocks I, yet. It's hard to believe. Hey, let's well, let's hope you can get us out of that ditch from Green Bay, Wisconsin. He's Steve Enramortal. Hey, Steve. Good afternoon from my comfortable chair that I'm sitting in. That's the new smoking, Steve. Yeah, <laughs> that is true, which is about to be made that much funnier. And from Phoenix, Arizona, I'm Brent Patmos, and I, too, am at my standing desk. So now that we've established that, guys, uh, the title is When Ability Holds Back. You okay? <laughs> Everything okay over there? When Ability Holds Back Advancement. So this topic is very interesting as we were planning for today's podcast Here's the subheader. Companies are taking action to prevent bosses from clinging to top performers. And uh, there we go. I'm going to throw that into the pool for us to swim around with. So who's going to kick us off? Well, what, what was that word you used before, Brent, that um, just got Lisker just all lit up, got Ryan all lit up? Oh, that what word. Was- yeah, that word is what they call hoarding. In fact, it says, Steve ever feel like you're stuck in place at work, question, you may be so good at your job that your boss isn't willing to lose you. It's called talent hoarding. A match, a manager's natural tendency hold on to hold on to top performers instead of working to promote them or transfer them, grow them basically in other areas yeah. of the company. So yeah. there you go. I, I can't on, even. Oh, I mean, I can't even believe that's a thing. Like, you know, I mean, w- there's a TV show about hoarders that when I watch it, I get physically ill. Like my stomach turns watching it. And I, there's something about that word, talent hoarding. Just, I don't know. It makes my stomach turn. So there. Well, why? I don't like messes. I don't like the hoard. I associate hoarding with a gross mess. Okay, that's very intriguing. Um, Sounds like a personal issue, but yeah. So if we accept the fact that when we're talking about talent hoarding, we're talking about limiting the growth of somebody because you want to hold on to them. You said earlier, Ryan, when we were prepping for today's podcast that you can't even believe that that's a thing. Like that's the hardest thing in the world for you to believe. How come? Well, I mean, that's what I'm, that's what I'm still saying. I still can't believe that's a thing because if you're hiring great talent, I just can't imagine that the manager is that either smart or savvy or, you know, I mean, you've got to be somewhat of a, of a genius to be able to even pull that off. I mean, I'm thinking, uh, yeah. Think, think about it though. You're there. You're rewarded for short-term gain. And the best way you can get short-term gain is to have the best team in the organization. So let's say I'm running a department and I want to hold on to my team because I get rewarded for having a high performance team. And oh, I but I mean, you got but, but you got a guy coming to you saying, "Hey, I'm frustrated. I think Brent said something about I feel stuck in my job. So is no, what's what's next point, for I me? Point out what's Brent. next for me? And the hold on a second. And the manager's <laughs> like, "Well, you're doing a great job. Why don't we keep you here for a little while? I don't believe in that. I mean, that's not going to last very long. 
I want no, to point Brent, out we that, talking. yes, I want to point out that Brent was not stuck in his job. That's all I want to point out right there. <laughs> well, I want, I mean, we talked about that. Where have we asked the question, have you ever felt stuck? And yes, I did feel stuck in my in the first company that I worked for. It was a large company. Uh, I was very successful in sales. I had just finished my master's and they want they wanted me to stay in sales. They did not want me to, I wanted to go into product management. And they're like, um, no, you're staying in sales because you know. They had me handling the largest account in the company and they wanted me to stay in sales. So what did I do? I left. Times right? times two. So yeah. here's the here, same same scenario. I sit down, have a conversation. I say, hey, I'd like to pursue another opportunity in the organization. I was a relatively senior position in the company and basically was told, A, you make too much money. B, this is your talent track and we really can't see you going anywhere else. And what happened four weeks later? I provided my notice and began my journey towards uh, what it is that we do now. So I agree with you, Steve. But I think do it you feel like, but do you feel so? I mean, does that fall under your definition of talent hoarding? Is that what we're talking about here? Well, maybe not, but I think it addresses the perspective of do people feel stuck at times in their job and then connect that? So you can be stuck for one reason. I feel like I'm going nowhere. Now, if you multiply that times the fact or add the factor of multiplication that your boss or the person that you're, direct, that you're reporting directly to has made it pretty clear that advancement isn't going to occur out of their area. They don't want to really promote people because they want to make sure that their department continues to do very well. That's where I think we start talking about hoarding, holding on to unnecessarily talent that can help the organization grow and develop, and you're unwilling to let that happen. That's hoarding. Yeah, and you could argue that it doesn't matter how you get stuck. Maybe your boss doesn't want to give you an opportunity. Maybe he wants to hoard you and keep you. Maybe you're not pursuing it. But at the end of the day, what percent of the workforce feels stuck? I got to think that's um, that's a pretty large number. So I would say it's a large number of talented individuals, or we use the term high potentials or hypos. I yeah. would say the percentage is higher there than someone who's, you know, don't count out people that are perfectly happy being part of the team, doing what they're doing on a daily basis. No, no right? doubt. No doubt. I mean, if you take a look, you got somebody, and I think this is important because not everyone wants to advance, develop, grow, advance, develop, grow. There are plenty of people that make up those organizations that we all work with who are 20, 15, 10, 3, 5, 35 year associates or team members who are vital parts, uh, perform vital roles in the roles that they're in within those organizations. But when we start to look at what's happening, we all know and we all hear about it, there's a skilled talent shortage, right? You know, where are the next leaders coming from within our organization? And I think, or, you know, leaders within organizations are really taking aim at making sure that nobody's holding on to this little uh, private stock, this private reserve of talent, and only using it for their own uh, consumption or use. So does, does, does not developing your talent equate to talent hoarding? Is that the same thing or is that different in your, in your world, do you think? I think what Brent's talking about sounds a little deceitful to me or conniving where you've got a... For all you're you Breaking Bad, you, you, yeah. you got all you Breaking Bad fans out there. This is the Walter White, right, of of your department. 
he's deliberately keeping you, holding you hostage almost to to team performance. I don't wow, think what that, an analogy there, Walter White. <laughs> wow. Next, we'll move into House of Cards and uh, Bloodline just for fun. So, no, I, I mean, I, I think you're right on, uh, Ryan, in this sense that when when we start to look at manipulation of people or of situations, anytime somebody doesn't have the awareness beyond their area, beyond themselves, look, we value self-awareness, we value awareness of others, we value an awareness of other areas in the company as a whole. If somebody doesn't have that view or have that perspective, we can all, I think, understand why they believe that they're doing the best thing by developing their people and keeping them in that area. Because to Steve's opening point, that has a direct impact on them. Life is easier for them. What, what, what motivation is for me, what motivation is there for me as an individual to um, develop all this talent and let it leave my department and then I just have to keep rebuilding? I'm in a constant rebuilding mode, right? So, I mean, you know, we could talk about the solution to this problem could be how do we build reward systems that, that reward leaders for building talent? And when was the last uh, time? I'm not aware of any like that. Yeah, and I when mean, was the last time you saw a leader rewarded for the development, the percentage of talent developed, or the contributing percentage of talent developed? That's not a metric we hear of on a regular basis at all. No, I, no, I don't. Steve, that's the exact path I was just headed down. I was just making a note. I mean, you've got the Walter Whites. That's the that's the dark side of of the talent horde. However, how frustrating for a good manager. Let's say we're a talented manager and we keep losing our people because our corporate culture is we've got to grow and promote bop, bop, bop from inside. You're essentially creating a almost like a corporate one and done philosophy. As soon as I get somebody trained, they leave and I got to continually rebuild. I imagine that's frustrating. And then I wrote down, Brent, before you said it, metrics of development of people. So who's even tracking how many, you, you know, if I've got 20 nurses working for me, how many got promoted to nurse manager versus how many left the organization kind of thing? Yeah, I think it's, I think, I think that when you develop talent and it moves up in the organization out of your department or wherever it goes, I think over time you can build a reputation of becoming a developer of talent, which then will lead to your own success and promotions and so forth. But there certainly is nothing in the short term that would motivate you to do that. It's almost like, is it a choice? Uh, is it a choice or is it inherent in you that that's how you're going to function? Well, let me give you some statistics that may be startling because when I read them, uh, these are from the Wall Street Journal, uh, Wednesday, uh, April 12th. And uh, this cites, it says, clinging to good people is bad for business. And this uh, study conducted in 2016 uh, said the following, talent hoarding managers exist at half of 665 employers surveyed by the Institute for Corporate Productivity, and they're a research group, think tank perhaps, that proportion rose to 74% for the lowest performing companies in the survey as defined by such measures as profit and revenue. Ding, 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 See, ding. Any I, bells going yeah, off here? No, I call foul ball. It, it's That's an oxymoron. You're not hoarding talent then if you're not meeting the metrics. If you're lower on profit and revenue, how can you be a talent hoarder? You're not hoarding talent. Nah, well, okay. I, let me play devil's advocate on this side of the equation, 
right? Is there a reason that the lowest performing companies see talent hoarding rise as a percent to total? We'll accept the statistics and the research as is for a minute. I think your call foul is fair. But when you think about this, underperforming companies, just like underperforming managers, are not working with the interest or the awareness of the team. Back to Steve's point, who are they working to represent themselves, their own success, their own definition. And so I think there's a direct correlation between companies that really get it, even if they aren't rewarding for it, and have created an atmosphere by which the entire team benefits as the development of people occurs, and underperforming companies don't get it. And really, how many high potentials do they really have? Yeah, yes, I mean, I mean now you've you've generated two two issues here. I mean, one, you know, that I've told you guys this story before. The sales director goes in for the meeting with his VP of sales. The VP of sales says, "Hey, I, we need to look at your numbers again. You missed for the third quarter in a row." Sales director says, "Yeah, I know. It's all this dead wood I've got on my team." VP of sales goes, "Dead wood? Why did you hire dead wood?" Sales director says, "Well, I didn't hire dead wood." Sales VP says, "Well, then what did you do to kill it?" There you go. Hmm. So hmm. if we if we take that point, Ryan, let's think about how much accountability, if we if we really look at the conversation that you just highlighted, how much accountability really exists to make sure that there is an attitude of movement or an attitude of progression and making sure that there are steps. Uh, and there is an accountability, a responsibility for a person in a position to expand internal mobility, internal growth. And that starts at the highest levels of the organization. If it doesn't occur there, it's not going to occur through the rest of the organization. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I go back to Steve's point. This is a good one. I don't have any of my clients are measuring or are getting awarded, compensated, recognized uh, around any metrics on development of people. <laughs> Normally what happens is they have somebody that's in trouble and they're like, well, we sent them to anger management class, check. Right, no, you know, that's true. But who's gotten promoted to COO from, you know, from their position, et cetera? Well, I, I mean, it, think about it. Steve, go ahead, Steve. I just was going to say, is it, is, it, um, is it too hard to measure? Is it too hard to reward for it? I mean, why aren't more companies doing it? Well, for a second, let's back off a of measurement. Let's just start with a conversation. If we used a conversation, the dialogue, the conversation, the interaction as a starting point of measurement, how many companies, how many execs are really having the conversation, the expansion of dialogue to talk exactly about what you've said or what you've said, Steve, the expansion of people, the development of people, the growth of people, the percentage of internal people that have been promoted or moved into other internal opportunities. Show me metrics by which we begin to measure or a conversation that challenges it. We're going to show you an organization that can start moving towards it. Yeah. I, I think the inherent motivation in not hoarding talent is that someday we got to hand this, this organization off to somebody else. And there's motivation in that, right? Because if you don't do it, then you're stuck in your job because you don't have anybody to take your role over. I think in the companies that, you know, that we work with, that I'm working with, I mean, that to me is the motivation, not the hoard talent, is that you can't build that next generation of talent if it's not coming up with you. I mean, does that make sense? Yeah, totally. I mean, yeah. <laughs> if you start to think, if you take your example, Steve, 
and you don't view sustainability as a leader as a key component of accountability for you, I, I'm going to go back to <laughs> that's just what Ryan, you, what'd you say earlier? That's just stupid. I, I mean, really, if you are short sheeting your evolution, your growth, your advance, the advancement of people for your own benefit with no awareness of the sustainability that it takes in terms of the number of leaders, number of people, that's, you're going to, the company's going to meet its maker at some point in time in that fashion. Because there's no, you cannot sustain short-sighted view on talent in the kind of environment that we operate in today in business. Which talent hoarding would be considered short-sighted? Correct. I, I would certainly yeah, say yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. That, that cannot be a winning strategy. I mean. All right. Yeah, so it could be. An, yeah. No, go ahead, Brian. No. Go, Steve. You were going to say. I was just saying, you know, I was just thinking, you know, is there a tendency for a young, you know, an early stage manager to want to hoard because they want to build their, you know, their reputation and build their ability to really perform at a high level. But as you are later in life, you may view that as not as an attractive strategy. I don't know if it's age related or not, but I was just thinking out loud about, you know, as a young person, you might want to get that recognition and have a high performance team. But in the end of the day, it's still a short sighted strategy. No doubt. So what do we think practically in terms of how how organizations deal with and or address and or uh, make sure that they are engaged in the conversation? What do we think a practical thing is for uh, our listeners to take away about talent hoarding or about, you know, positional growth, high potential people? Uh, I, th I think, you know, one of the things that would, um, I guess, fight against or prohibit this from happening is secession planning at every level of an organization, right? So if you're having conversations with people about, hey, you know, to the manager, who do you see as your best successor? And then to the to the to succession candidates, you know, where do you want to go with your career? I, I think the word, the, the answer to talent hoarding is career pathing, right? Laying out a career path. All right, good. Ryan? Yeah, I mean, for me, it, it generally comes back to what questions could I possibly ask? And I was just, I wrote down, you know, how does your organization measure leadership currently today? So you you guys have got me thinking about everybody I coach from here on out. I need to ask how many people have you had? How many people have you had quit? How many people did you get promoted? How high have they been promoted? And I think those are some good thoughtful questions because that's a good measurement of how good of a leader you are. I mean, are you willing to let it go? Are you willing to let somebody go with, is a concept we work on uh, yeah, so, having so, having some like, things go away and the other sorry go ahead no i finished it was my bad sorry right. i'm used to you stepping over me <laughs> yeah <laughs> we call that dead air so would somebody Are you gonna finish finish your... <laughs> really exactly i was gonna say that brian and that's why i jumped in ryan because you just like you know created this idea where you know, you create a talent scorecard for a leader, right? So percent of individuals promoted on, percent of individuals that left, which is voluntary turnover, percent of individuals that have involuntary turnover, you let them go, uh, and percent of individuals that have stayed in your department. I think that, I think there's some, you know, I think that's a great idea. And I, that's, to your point, that's something that maybe we should have more conversations with leaders hey, about. Brett. Brent and I had a term that we that we used. He he coined it. I'm using it. I stole it from him called time to effectiveness. So now, Brent, how could we tie time to effectiveness to the next level? Time to 
promotion or something. You know, I mean, what do you think? Well, realistically, if we look at this and we say, okay, let's at least put it into the expanded dialogue category. Ryan, you said we got to expand the conversation around that. Steve, you gave some really good suggestions about practical metrics. Those aren't the only metrics, but those are metrics that at least start the conversation. Ryan, it flipped back to you to, and you said, you know, I'm thinking now that with every coaching client I have, I've got to be asking them some of these questions about what are the measurements of success you've had in these areas. Well, time to effectiveness is a beginning point when somebody comes into the organization or into a new role. So just like we're talking about, if you expand the dialogue and say, look, typically in this role, we expect cycle to effectiveness to be four to six months. And you beat that cycle to effectiveness as measured by whatever factors you determine, contribution, development, profit and loss. I mean, there are a number of them, but at least you're having the conversation. You're open in the dialogue. And when we when we really start to think in terms of um, then time to movement or time to advancement, where does that reluctance come from when leaders know that they've got to do that, Steve, succession and sustainability, but they don't do that because they are fearful of commitments. They don't want to create expectations for people. Well, these aren't conversations of commitment, nor are they conversations of expectation. They are conversations of awareness that say, how long do you see it taking for you to advance to? How long, Mr. Department Manager, uh, Ms. Department Manager, do you see this person taking to advance into their next level, their next role? How do you see them advancing into their next role? What are we doing again? expanding the dialogue. So Ryan, I think there's a pretty natural offshoot out of cycle to effectiveness to cycle to advancement or time to growth or time to advancement. Thing is, nobody's really talking about it. You don't hear these conversations occurring and certainly far less are compensating for it. You know, I think this is our 10th or 11th podcast and I don't know if it's time for a final thought, but this podcast has certainly got me thinking more about new issues than probably anyone we've done so far about things that, because I know this is an issue for organizations. I'll tell you why. Most of the bigger organizations I work, work with are in a cycle of losing 30 to 40% of their workforce to retirement. So now we've got why they would care about time to advancement. So anyway, good, good talk. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, let's wrap up. Uh, and uh, Van Remortal, you were telling us about a book you read. So what's on your mind to wrap us up uh, for this afternoon? You were telling us about a book you just read. Yeah, I actually, um, the conversation, I was in the same spot Ryan is where this conversation really uh, kind of lit up the, some buttons for me. And uh, it reminded me of this week in a lot of some quite a bit of the client work I'm doing and the and the two words that came out of almost every conversation I was having with leaders was this concept of career pathing and it's not a word that you hear very often and maybe it's bigger out there than I've experienced but let's say that you have five people reporting to you how many of those five people have a career path in place that you have talked to them about that you understand that they understand and that you're putting a game plan together for it 
especially the younger generation, if you're not talking to them about career pathing, then they're checking out on you. Um, and it, that really just Brian, or Ryan's point there really just lit me up on this whole concept of career pathing and the importance of it. And the fact that it's not a staple in most talent development uh, systems that we see, but if you're want to keep that younger generation, if you want to advance that younger generation, you definitely need to have career pathing conversations with them. So that's my final thought today, Brent. Great. Can you still tell us about that book that you were telling us about? Because I want yeah. our, I want our listeners to be able to grab it if they like it. So you were you were singing praises. So what is it? We uh we we are spending a lot of time on brand clarity in our organization and making sure that our message is clear and our message is listened to. And so um, Donald Miller is putting out his uh, his new book, Building a Story Brand, and I've just started diving into it. Um, and it's it's really good stuff from the standpoint of a lot of times we want to use our own language to communicate our platform, to communicate what we do for a living, but no one else understands our language. And so the message is, is make your brand incredibly simple so that your customers listen. Um, he has a saying in his uh, consulting practice, in his model, that if you confuse, you lose. And uh, so it's been, the last couple of weeks have been uh, all about brand clarity for our team. And, and we've had some breakthroughs. It's been uh, really powerful. So I appreciate you asking. Great. Thanks, Steve. So uh, my final thought for the day is this, that, you know, too often we limit our thinking. And it doesn't mean that thinking beyond boundaries takes us to every revelation or every new idea that's going to be, uh, you know, the greatest transformation in business that's ever occurred. Rarely is that the case. But our inability sometimes to really uh, think beyond boundaries and to really consider the way in which we are looking at, measuring, defining, working with people talent, organizational performance, sustainability, succession is something that can never be wrote, taken for granted, or simply done that way because we've always done it that way. Because as you two have highlighted, we will have more millennials in the workplace than we have ever had before as many of the Gen Xers and baby boomers begin to move into other phases of their life. So, Here's the, the point where we get to where we say, look, do I agree with everything about this topic? No. But does it spark a discussion, a conversation that causes us to think beyond boundaries, expand the dialogue, and help look at something with a broader view of awareness? Absolutely. And uh, that's, uh, to me, uh, what resonates and what's important. So if you like what you hear and uh, you're interested in following any of us on uh, the social feeds. On Twitter, he is Ryan Lisk. And Ryan, your Twitter feed is? At Ryan Lisk. Thank you. That was complex. <laughs> and uh, Steve. That's right. Exactly. Steve, they're all going to be original ex or except yours, Steve. So yours would be? At Stop the Vanilla. Great. And if you're interested in following me, Brent Patmos, on Twitter, Twitter or social feeds, uh, all you have to do is look at Brent Patmos or uh, enter the name Perpetual Development. So we want to thank all of our listeners for joining us today. Until next time and the next episode of Leading in Real Time. Take care.